If you have your Bibles tonight, would you open them, please, to the book of the prophet Daniel. The book of the prophet Daniel, chapter 3, please. We won't be long tonight, just as long as we need to be. When you're there, say amen. 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 Good to see you tonight. Amen. Daniel chapter 3, beginning with the first verse. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was threescore cubits. or the number 60, every cubit was, or three score, a score was considered 20 cubits. Three score, therefore, would be three times 20, or 60. It's an important number as we go on into the story here. 60 cubits, or 60 was its height, three score cubits, and the breadth thereof, is six cubits, and he set it up in the plains of Dura, in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather the princes, the governors, the captains and the judges, the treasurers, the counselors and the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I'd like to preach for a few moments tonight. A trial by fire. A trial by fire. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege and the opportunity of being gathered together as your church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the honor of standing in front of your people who were bought and paid for by the precious blood of our Savior Jesus. I come as your servant, O Lord, set apart from my mother's womb to, pro- to proclaim thy word. And I ask tonight for the anointing of the prophet. I ask, O Father, that you would lift us all as you did Ezekiel between the heavens and the earth, that we might behold visions of God. I pray that not one person would leave this place or those that are listening around the world by the internet unchanged but challenged and brought to the reality, O Father, of where we are at this time in the evolution of human history. And Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory for you alone, O God, our God. There are no God but thee. There is no Savior but Jesus. There is no Spirit but thy Holy Spirit. And we give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the thanks that Jesus is Lord. And the enemy is absolutely 100% unequivocally 
unadulteratedly defeated by the power of Almighty God and the blood of the Lamb. And we give you glory and honor and praise in all God's people said. Amen, amen and amen. The Bible tells us that the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. They came to the Red Sea where God would deliver them by a mighty hand. And if you know the Exodus story, the Bible says that they came to the sea and had no way to cross. Moses would tell the people to be still, hallelujah, and see the salvation of the Lord, hallelujah. Sometimes we just need to be still, amen. He would bring them to the brink and the people would begin to cry out in absolute horror as they realized that Pharaoh and his army was pursuing them. They had left Egypt. They had rejoiced that they were finally let free after 430 years of slavery. But they came to the edge of the Red Sea, and as we have just talked about, Moses would say, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And the Bible tells us that Moses took his staff, held it out over the Red Sea, and God caused a great east wind to come. And literally throughout the night blew the ocean away. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You believe that? Yes, I believe that. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. I heard a scholar one time say, well, he really didn't part the Red Sea. It was actually uh, the Reed Sea, which is only six inches of water. And that's where they crossed. And I heard an old timer say, well, that's. That's even a greater miracle. Because how did he drown the entire Egyptian army in six inches of water? Hallelujah. (laughs) My Lord. That's even a greater miracle. (laughs) But we know the story that they would fail in the wilderness. They would fail to enter into the promised land and 40 years would pass. They would experience divine provision. They would experience uh, a a, a divine health, if you will. Uh, uh, All their needs were met. Their their maintenance needs, if you will. They they had food and clothing, but they could not cross over. For for, for when Moses had climbed up into Mount Sinai, we're told that they rose up and began to to desire a, a, a golden image to be made for them. And while Moses was on the mountain seeking God and receiving the greatest revelation of all of human history, uh, other than the New Testament and Jesus Christ himself, the Ten Commandments, they came to Aaron and they they demanded that, that he make them a god. And so he took their earrings and the gold that they had and he, he cast it into the fire and molded a golden calf. And they began to raise up and to play before it and to become drunk and 
to engage in wicked and horrible things, while God in the distance could be seen on the mountain. And God would speak to Moses, and he'd say, you better get down there. (laughs) Why? Because those people are really messed up. (laughs) That's not the King James, but that's kind of what he told Moses, you know. He said, they have already begun to turn aside. And when Moses came down, he, he saw them at play. And the Bible tells us that he would break those commandments that God had written by his own hand. A symbol of how they had already broken his law even before they got started. So they would fail and they would not be allowed to go into the promised land. And, and, and yet God would leave a promise to another generation. He would tell them, you shall not go in, but your children will. With the exception of Joshua and Caleb, you will die in this wilderness. Your bones will be bleached white by the desert sun, for you have rejected the revelation of your God. And so it was. Israel would die in the wilderness. Their children would come to that time and that moment of promise. That time of release from the wilderness. And they would be led by God and and, and he would infuse and anoint Joshua and they would cross over the river Jordan. They would take 12 stones from the wilderness and they would place them into the river Jordan, which God would part. And they would take 12 stones from the river Jordan that was already there and bring them to the other side. And God would say, set you up a pillar so that all generations may know that it was the Lord your God who delivered you and brought you across this Jordan into the promised land which he swore unto your fathers to give to them. And the Bible says that Jordan would part from, from Adam to a place called sin. My Lord, that's good. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What was it? Well, if you know the story, Joshua was commanded to have the priest carry the Ark of the Covenant to the River Jordan, not to stop. But as soon as their feet would touch the water, the river would part. The mighty River Jordan would part from one end to the other, from Adam to sin. It was symbolic of what was coming, that it would only be by the presence of God that he would drive away our sin. And so comprehensive would it be that it would reach all the way back to the garden where Adam fell. All the way to our time and everywhere in between. Anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. A supernatural people. Joshua would lead them. And they would conquer the promised land. A land that was flowing with milk and with honey. Dwelling in houses that they had not built. Reaping down fields that they had not planted. Blessed by God. Hallelujah. 
But it didn't stay that way very long. For you see, residing within the very core of their being, they were the offspring of the ones who worshipped the golden image. And when they grew fat, and when they grew prosperous, they began to forsake the Lord. They began to turn away from God. They began to seek other gods. He had warned them. That in Deuteronomy chapter 8, when you come into the good land which I shall give you, when you have dwelt in goodly houses and reaped down great fields and your silver and your gold has increased, you shall not forget that it was the Lord your God that gave thee the power to get wealth, that he might establish his covenant which he swore unto your father Abraham. And he said, remember the way in which I led you all these years. I led you these ways in order to test you, in order to try you, in order to prove you, in order to examine you and to see what was really on the inside of your heart, whether you would serve the Lord or whether you would not. And they failed miserably and and they would come under attack from other tribes that were around them. And they would be persecuted and they would call out to God. And he would raise up the judges. And he would, they would experience a deliverance. And, and as soon as deliverance would come, it wouldn't take very long. But they would fall back into the same pattern. And a judge would be raised up again. And again. And again. Blessing, deliverance, and backsliding. Sounds like the reservation, my God. <laughs> hey, I started here 30 years ago. I know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Old Brother Vigil used to say, I wish I could preach the word to you, but you're so bound with sin. <laughs> oh, yeah. Praise the Lord for Brother Vigil. Amen. <laughs> judge after judge, and they would begin to clamor for a king. The king would be given to them from Samuel. He would anoint Saul, and Saul would become the king. But this was not God's choice. This was the people's choice. So much so did it confuse Samuel that when God chose to remove Saul from power and, and, and he would send Samuel to Jesse the Bethlehemite's house, Jesse would parade seven of his sons before Samuel the prophet. And, and none of them bore witness with his spirit. There was one that was in the field, a shepherd, not embraced by his brothers, rejected in a sense uh, of, of, of uh, uh, in the sense that, that there was nothing that his brothers or even his father saw, his earthly father saw in him. But he was a younger generation. He just hung out in the field with the sheep and a harp. Having a time with God. He'd write things like, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He'd, he'd take those sheep and 
take them to the streams where, where they would lie down and he, in, in the grass and drink from the water. And then he would write, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And as they would drink, he would be inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to write, he restores my soul. Hallelujah. My God, he wrote that when he was 17 years old. And Israel would receive David as king. He would become the king. And under his leadership, the kingdom would spread the glory years, the golden years of Israel. Under David and Solomon, the, the, Israel had known no greater glory. Under David, uh, there was a great peace that would be implemented throughout the Middle East. He was the anointed of God. He sought to build God a temple, but he could not. For the prophet would tell him from God, you seek to build me a house, and this is a good thing, but you cannot build the house because you are a man of war. But your son Solomon shall build me a house. David, when he would age, would, would, would relinquish the kingdom to his son Solomon. And Solomon would come as a young man again. Are you seeing a pattern here? A younger generation. David would tell his son, you build the house exactly as I tell you to build it. For I received the instructions of the temple from the Holy Spirit himself. My God. My God. Think of this. The temple that Solomon would build, every single brick, every single hundred ton limestone and granite uh, block that would be laid would, be, it would take seven years to build the temple on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. And, and, and yet he was instructed by the Holy Spirit. So holy was the building of this temple that he was told, you do not build this temple. I do not want to hear the sound of a hammer. I don't want to hear the sound of a saw. I don't want to hear the sound of anything when you put it together the only sound that would be heard for seven years 24 hours a day six days a week on the seventh day they would rest but the only sound that would be heard would be the choirs of Levites praising God as something supernatural was taking place You think the Egyptians are big and bad because they built the pyramids? Try building a temple of that magnificence without one hammer, without one saw, without one pulley, without one noise from man. Hallelujah. It was a miracle. Hundred ton blocks would move through the air would be assembled into their place without mortar. Something was going on. Levites were were praising God. I don't know what they were singing. (laughs) I will glorify the King of Kings. I will glorify... The Lord, I will glorify the King of Kings. And a 
hundred ton limestone would come floating by. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 Glory. You're not hearing what I'm telling you here. My God, we serve, we serve a supernatural God. Hallelujah. My God, nothing is impossible for him. <laughs> Brother Jeremy was singing it this morning and this evening. The God that I serve cannot fail you. Hallelujah. And the temple would be built seven years under, under Solomon. The beauty of the priest clothed in white linen as they would sing. And it was supernaturally assembled in silence except for worship. And when it was finished, it would be considered the wonder of the Middle East, the wonder of the world. When it came time to dedicate the temple, so holy was it in the sight of God that the Bible tells us that the presence of God came down in such a way that the very ministers themselves could not even stand up to minister. And nobody had to blow on them. No one had to throw their coat on them. Consider what we're saying. David says, I received Holy Spirit architectural plans. Preacher, if you ever desire to build anything for God, you better make sure that it's not your idea, but it's directly given to you by the unction and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit himself. Hallelujah. Am I too loud for you? What? Wake up. <laughs> and when he guides you, when he instructs you, when he leads you, do exactly what he tells you to do. Isn't that what Mary told the servants at the wedding? She says, do exactly what he tells you to do. Because if you will, new wine will flow. Hallelujah. 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 The smoke, the presence of God would fill that temple, that glorious temple. All down from the top of the temple, the presence of God began to cascade out of the upper walls of the temple structure proper itself. It would cascade down the sides in every 360 degree direction down Mount Moriah into the very streets of Jerusalem and begin to spread throughout the nation from Dan to Beersheba as Israel was now being filled and led by her God that brought her out of Egypt hundreds of years before. My God. But Solomon would die. His son Rehoboam would take over. A young generation of a person, only raised and privileged, some kind of a disconnect took place. Something happened between the father and the son that wasn't lacking between David and Solomon, father-son. 
because Rehoboam had the elders approach him at the death of his father Solomon and tell him, please don't make us work as hard as your daddy and everybody will serve you. Well, he gets together with his friends, the younger generation, and, and he says, what do I do? And they said, no, nah, if, if, if you listen to them, they're going to think you're weak. So he goes back and he tells them, hey, you think my dad was, was macho? He goes, he was nothing compared to me. He goes, you think he was heavy on you? He says, I'm going to be worse than he was on you. And so what ended up happening was the kingdom split. Ten tribes of Israel would go under the leadership of Jeroboam. Two tribes would remain in Israel, in Jerusalem, excuse me, known as Judah and Benjamin. We would have a split kingdom now. They would set up a false capital city in a place called Samaria. And they would create an altar where they would worship not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they began to worship Baal. And suddenly the exclusivity of the ministry was thrown open to any joker as Jeroboam tried to win the hearts of the people. And he would tell them, if you want to be a priest, you can be a priest. Gross idolatry would begin to pour into that part of Israel. And they would have successive kings that were insane. And they began to set up idols on every hill in Israel. It, be, it got so bad they ended up with a king by the name of Ahab. And a woman by the name of Jezebel. Ahab was the president, but Jezebel really ran the country. I mean, Ahab was the king. Jezebel was driven by a hatred for the prophets of God. She was driven by a spirit that would unleash the occultic desires of the dark places of the earth into Israel itself. A struggle would occur between light and darkness. It was the first judgment that was about to come. And yet it is a type. It is a shadow. It is a foretelling prophetic image or type of what will befall the nations in the last days. Is it any wonder? <laughs> oh my God. Where do we see America tonight? Well, how does America, what's America got to do with Israel? Everything. Israel was born out of the word of God. America was born out of the word of God. As our brothers were preaching so beautifully today. We are a nation that was born out of people that came to this land and planted their Christian flag in Virginia Beach, Virginia, in the 1400s sometime, and declared that from sea to shining sea, this nation would be dedicated to God.
God would send Elijah to confront Ahab and Jezebel. What are you saying, Brother Marty? <laughs> Hallelujah. I'll get to that. They would infect the people of God with a perversion so that they could actually think they were serving God under a leadership that was fully compromised. Remember what the Lord said, how beautiful it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He said, it's even as the oil that was poured on Aaron's head. What was he saying? He says that the anointing flows from the head down. It is the same in the spirit realm, whether it's light or whether it's darkness. The people are given leadership according to the compromise of their heart. Help me, Holy Spirit. Do you have eyes to see? I'm old. Look, I got gray hair. I'm old enough to remember. When Ahab got elected president. In 1992. What are you talking about? <laughs> For all reports that we know, we're told of President Ahab that the power behind Ahab was really Jezebel. And a shift occurred in America. We went from righteous leadership to into the 90s suddenly pursuing material gain. Remember the slogan that President Ahab talked about? It's the economy, stupid. That's what he said. Those of you old enough to remember. But a shift began to take place. A perversion of leadership came into power. As the shifting of generations took place in this nation. For we came out of the greatest generation, the World War II generation. Their children were the teenagers of the 50s who gave birth to children who became the children of the 60s in this nation, who suddenly began to throw off the shackles of moral constraint. And suddenly it was called free love. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. Those Hippies of the 60s in this country became your congressmen and senators today. 
Oh, yeah, they cut their hair. But now they want to legalize the same weed they used to smoke all the time listening to the Grateful Dead. You think I'm kidding? <laughs> I ain't ever driving through Colorado again. They'll either crash into you or they'll want to eat you because they got the munchies. I mean, they're crazy over there. <laughs> Except for President Ahab. Remember what he said? I tried it, but I never inhaled. <laughs> and, they, and we elected him. And we went from scandal to scandal to scandal. To the point that even the perversions that have come out later that we know of. What's the first thing that happened when Jezebel and Ahab took power? Their closest aide who had all the dirt on them. Their counselor. Their closest counselor ends up dead over a land deal, so they say. They called it whitewater. Isn't it interesting if you know anything about Ahab and Jezebel, they wanted a particular piece of land, so they took it. We called it whitewater. The attorney had all kinds of junk and dirt and files on them this thick, and they became paranoid when they came to power. And suddenly, their counselor was found dead in the park over there in Washington, D.C., and miracle of miracles, where he fell, the forensics, they said where the body fell and where it was found, some 30 yards over here, they have no idea how a dead man rose and came over here and died. And they called it suicide. They found the gun in his right hand, but he's left-handed. First murder in high places by President Ahab and First Lady Jezebel. What are you saying, Brother Marty? And what the heck does this got to do with Israel and Judah? Everything. I'm hurrying. <laughs> when President Ahab was in college, they say he went to Oxford in England they say he avoided military service, and, and he was a peculiar fellow, that in protest of the war, he climbed up into the midst of a tree in Oxford, England, at the college there, in the center of the student court, and he stayed there and would not come down for multiple days protesting the Vietnam War. They said so filthy was it around the tree that the smell and the stench began to, to fill the hallways of the school, emanating from the future President Ahab. They say that his roommate, who grew a bit too close to him, for some unexplained reason, jumped out of his dormitory window and plunged to his death and committed suicide, and nobody could explain why, because he was such a happy fella. But he was roommates with President-to-be Ahab. 
Fast forward, youngest governor was Ahab ever elected to office, Arkansas. I ain't got time to prove it to you tonight. You can look it up yourself, but there's a trail of over a hundred different murders and accidents and suicides that have followed Ahab and Jezebel all the way to the White House. Oh! Anybody hear about the 26-year-old uh, aide in the Democratic National Committee recently who got shot in the back and murdered walking down the street at 4 in the morning and nobody knows who did it or why and yet we're told in the national media and by that person all the way on the other side of the world named Julian Assange, he released a multitude of emails from the Democratic National Committee that proved that the higher-ups in the positions of power had rigged the election so that Jezebel could get the nomination. And this guy released those documents, some say, to WikiLeaks, and he's found murdered. Do you have eyes to see? Do you have ears to hear? Do you understand the struggle that is taking place between light and darkness and for the very soul of this nation and the nations of the world? A spirit of Jezebel has been unleashed across this land. They have to prop her up. She disappears for days on end, but it doesn't matter. She's being backed by powers that nobody knows. The entire elite media of this nation props up Jezebel. Are you, are you telling me who to vote for? Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> You think the other guy's going to help you? I don't know. But I don't care anymore. Seriously. Why? Because this world, it's not my home. I'm just a passing through. And my treasures are laid up. Up there beyond the blue. Don't you hear the angels beckon you and me from heaven's open door? And I can't. Feel at home in this old world anymore. Somebody praise him tonight. Hallelujah. I don't know what you're making plans for, but I'm listening for the sound of a trumpet. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Israel would be carried away captive by the Assyrians. And Judah would fall into greater idolatry. Grandpa was preaching it this afternoon when he talked about 
Ezekiel and what he saw. Fernando touched on it today. Brother Stan's been preaching it for years. Brother Dave, same thing. What was coming, what we're living through now, what we're seeing, what's just upon us, what's flooding the earth. They set up idols in that beautiful temple that I so stumbling and haltingly tried to explain to you was built by divine architecture. They filled the house of God with idolatry. And it led to their destruction. Nebuchadnezzar would be raised up, the king of Babylon, the first world empire. And he would come down, and I'm hurrying. He would come down and he would take captive Judah, and he would destroy the temple. Remember what Jesus said No man takes my life. He says, I lay it down willingly. No man destroyed God's temple. The reason the temple was destroyed was because he had to remove his presence from there. Read it in Ezekiel chapter 5, 6, 7, 8. When he lifted Ezekiel into the visions of God in chapter 5, as Grandpa was talking about today, he took him to show him why, why these things had happened. What are you seeing in America today? We stand on the eve of the 15th observance of 9-11 when this nation's walls of divine protection were, were, were removed by God as a warning to us. And we were attacked from across the sea by an enemy who are the ancestors of the very Assyrians and Babylonians that destroyed Israel. And he showed Ezekiel, he said, he said, look, they, they've set up an image of Tammuz, sensuality, idolatry, sensuality. He says, the women would come to the temple and cry over this statue that was, you know, had six-pack abs and, you know, that's what it looked like. And, and the Greeks called him Adonis. And this is what they set in the house of God. Rather than raising up intercessors and handmaidens unto the Lord, they were consumed by the leadership of the elders who led them down a path of addiction to the things of the flesh. And it corrupted the house of God and he could not abide there. He says, but come a little further. Because that's what you see on the outside. He says, but dig a hole in the wall, Ezekiel. And I'll show you something even worse. And, 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 and he dug deeper. And when he got inside there, he found the Sanhedrin. The 70 elders of Israel. The ancients, the leaders, those who were the caretakers of the word of God, those who had been given the charge to guard, to guide, to protect, and to lead the people into righteousness. But hidden from sight, God knows exactly what they're doing. 
But interesting that he shows them first the women weeping after a a, a sexual idol that they allowed to be erected in the house of God. He shows the outer first. He shows the result. And then he takes Ezekiel into the innermost part of the temple underneath it where they had built a secret chamber. And he says, you know why things are, are, are that bad on the outside up there where you are? Because look what they're doing hidden in my house. Oh, my God. Oh, I know too much. I've met too many of them people we see on TV. My Lord. Head of a major network just died. fooling around with other men. Driver was, his limo driver was a homosexual. Him and his wife pretending to be married when they've been divorced for some 20 years. Her on the other side of the country. And they raised up the largest quote-unquote Christian network in the world. And you send them your money! And they fill the earth with a mixture of pseudo-Christianity driven by a lust and desire for the material world, compromised in the hidden places of their morality and their marriages, and they stand as the leaders over you and me. Shall not a nation be visited for such people as this? You think America ended up where it has ended up overnight? It didn't just happen overnight. He's long-suffering. He's a merciful God. Jeremiah would tell him, you know what? You blew it. Don't even seek his face anymore. Don't even ask for a revival anymore. It's too late. What you should ask him for is for his coming. Look, I'm all for making America great again. But America hasn't been great for a long time. And America will never be great, again or otherwise, without her acknowledging her sin from the top to the bottom and proclaiming Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and repent. Then maybe... He'll leave behind a blessing. Maybe he'll give us a little bit of time like he did Nineveh in the days of Jonah. Just maybe. They're carried away captive. Uh, Ezekiel has shown the elders. They had painted images to demon gods in a secret chamber underneath that godly temple. And God had to remove his presence. And if you study it out, you'll see he goes from the Holy of Holies to the holy place to the outer court till he removes himself to the Mount of Olives and then is carried up into heaven. He's gone. Same thing Jesus did. When he removed himself from the people of Israel and withdrew his presence 
and would declare what? You shall not see me here again until you're willing to do what? Cry, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. We were talking about this at lunch the other day. There's a need for the people of God to be taught. There's so much that we need to know. We need to be taught how to live. We need to be taught how to walk. We need to have have God in the middle of everything that we do. But none of that matters if you don't hinge it to the principal declaration of the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. And that is one thing and one thing only, that there is a kingdom coming. Why do I treat my wife right? Because a king is coming. You're awful quiet, honey. You should say amen. Jeez. Can't even get a witness, my Lord. Uh, You promised me you'd pretend, my goodness. Everything, the reason we live right is because Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we strive. We are in preparation for the meeting of a king. That's what it's all about. Otherwise, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't take drugs, I don't do this, I don't do that. You know, I I don't don't beat my kids, whatever the list may be. I don't kick my dog. Because I'm trying to be good. For what purpose? Just to be good? That's pretty hard. That would be a boring life. But if I do what I do, If by the power of the Holy Spirit, I deny this baser self and embrace a higher reality, I do it because I know and I am anticipating from generation to generation that a king is coming. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, my Lord, he's coming back. Again, real soon. Yes, my Lord, he's coming back again, real soon. Don't you know? Satan will be bound. Hallelujah. I said, Satan will be bound a thousand years. We'll have no tempter there when my Jesus comes back to earth again. Somebody praise him tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give me five minutes. Nebuchadnezzar, he's a type of the Antichrist. He sets up an image. We read it tonight. 60 cubits high. Why 60? That's, that's, that's six tens. Ten is a complete cycle. Six. What, why did he do that? First of all, he makes the image of gold, right? All gold. If you read in chapter 2 before chapter 3, you'll realize that he had a dream. And in that dream, he could not remember what he dreamt. He was getting ready to kill everybody. And then he, 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 uh, Daniel goes to Arioch, the guard, and he says, why is the king so messed up? He says, well, he had this dream. Nobody can figure it out. He says, give me 24 hours. He goes back. Now, remember this. Daniel was somewhere between 17 and 20 years old at the time. My God. A generation born under impending judgment. 
They had nothing to do with the sins of their fathers. They were young people, born in a time of trial and tribulation. The inevitable judgment of their nation had occurred, and they were carried captive into what is a prophetic type of a global reality that we are witnessing today. Nebuchadnezzar has a vision. Daniel explains the vision to him. He says, O king, you saw an image. The image had the head of gold. It had arms and chest of silver. It had, it had loins of brass. It had two legs. Both were iron. And its feet were made out of iron and of clay. Well, if you count that, that's a total of six kingdoms. And when Daniel gave him the interpretation of that dream, he told him, he said, listen, he said, uh, uh, Oh, king, you're that head of gold. But after you're gone, another kingdom's going to arise. We know it as the Medes and the Persian. We call them Iran today. After Iran or after the Medes and the Persians will come the brass, he tells him. Well, that became Alexander the Great. After Alexander the Great came the Roman Empire, symbolized by the iron. On his, on his statue, he, uh, he has two legs, right? And, and those legs are long. They're longer than any other piece of the body. What, what did that symbolize? It symbolized the Eastern and the Western Roman Empire. In the West, the Roman Empire's capital would be in, the Ro- in Rome. In the East, the capital would be known as Constantinople, which today is Turkey. Isn't it interesting that all these kingdoms I'm naming to you are suddenly in the forefront of the news? We have Iran, who is ancient Medo and Persia. We have Babylon, which is Iraq. We have the Assyrians. Who are they? They are ISIS today. They are the descendants of the Ninevites or the Assyrians. That's why they pushed into Iraq and created a caliphate and established it in a city called Mosul. Mosul was the ancient capital of Assyria. And Mosul used to be known as Nineveh. All in the news. The legs grow long. And, and so we've got head of gold, one. Chest and arms of silver, two. Loins of brass, three. Two legs, four and five. And then the final kingdom that's revealed to him is made up of ten toes, iron and clay, mixed together, partly weak, partly strong. That's number six. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar erects an image, and we don't have time to get into the whole thing there, but when he erects that golden image in chapter three, he creates it 60 cubits high, but he makes it all out of gold. What was he trying to do? First of all, where does it tell us that he put the image? Let's read it again. Verse 1, chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits. That's 60. The breadth thereof is six cubits. And he, where did he put it? He put it in the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon. If you know your Bible, Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. That, that's where the original Tower of Babel was erected by Nimrod, another type of the Antichrist. Well, the legend of what had happened, the Tower of Babel was built in the plains of Shinar, which is where Dura is, which is where Nebuchadnezzar felt compelled to erect his golden image. 
all these years later. He erected the image out of gold because he was trying to say to God, yeah, you revealed the original statue to me and I was the head of gold. But I reject the arms and the chest of silver. I reject the the brass. I reject the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay. And I'm going to make that image all gold because my kingdom will never end. And he's moved by a demonic presence. And he sets up the image in the plains of Shinar, in Dura, where Nimrod erected the Tower of Babel. And he did this because they knew that something awesome took place. Something wicked and evil took place. Prior to the flood of Noah, we're told in Genesis chapter 6 that the sons of God, and I ain't got time to debate with you backsitting scholars, but the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they took them wives of all, and the legendary giants of old were born to these women. The mixing of otherworldly, possibly angelic DNA, if you will, with human DNA, and it created monstrous creatures. And so horrible was it that violence filled the earth, and we're told that God had to judge the world of that day, and the flood came. Well, Noah comes out of the ark, God puts a rainbow in the sky, everything's good for a while. But then a guy named Nimrod raises up, and he, he was famous for killing a particularly violent leopard, and he would wear a leopard skin uh, uh, a coat. That leopard is also symbolic of Alexander the Great. Years later that Daniel would talk about. It's symbolic of the Antichrist. And he would build this tower. Because remember, they had heard how God had flooded the earth. And so, and the Bible tells us now that that, that humankind all had one language at one time. And, And so they build this tower And what does he say? Come, let us build a tower that will reach to the very heavens. Now, if you break down the Hebrew, you'll see those words literally mean what he was saying. We can translate it today as the top of the tower reaching to heavens. It's another word for the word what we call a stargate or a portal, an opening of a dimension from the spirit realm into the material universe. Are you paying attention? He builds this tower so high that they were thinking they could climb up into it. And should God send another flood, they could climb up into it and avoid his judgment. And they were trying to reach high enough in the very place where they had descended before into the earth. Enoch called it. The, the, the leader of 200 angels that came into the earth, was his name was Azazel. He came into the earth and he led a garrison of, 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 of fallen angels into the earth realm. They were the ones who taught men the arts, the occultic arts, witchcraft, the making of weapons, pharmacy or sorceries. They corrupted mankind. And Jude, why are you quoting Enoch? Because Jude quoted him. Jude said, even as Enoch said. And and, and those, those those angels were taken captive and they were bound according to the word of God. 
by, by, by what, so we could understand it, by chains and cast into darkness where they will wait the final judgment of God. They left their first habitation, the Bible says in the book of Jude. They left their first estate and God cast them down. But they gave power to the wicked and the judgment and the flood came. So Nimrod builds a tower and he tries to access that portal again. Now we know that something happened what do you, how do you know that, Brother Mark? Because the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, it says, and we know that there were giants in the land in that day, right? And then it says something very interesting. And then it says, and even after that. Something happened in the time of Nimrod because suddenly, like our brother was talking about today, we've got Goliath challenging David, right? And the children of Israel, a giant, We've got his brothers that are all, like he said, six toes and six fingers and just monstrous, giant, gigantic people. Uh, the king, Og. You ever heard of Og? He was 18 feet tall. So some kind of something happened when Nimrod built that tower that seems and appears to have opened a portal that allowed demonic spirits to come back in. And so the giants move through the DNA of, of those that were not in the line of the Messiah. They're manifesting again today. Haven't you ever seen the NBA? <laughs> Lighten up, people. Come on. I know this is heavy. I know this is heavy. <laughs> ah. It's like, what do you, what do you and your wife talk about at home? My God, you know, <laughs> what is she feeding you? Uh. <laughs> wow. So this is what a spirit gets a hold of Nebuchadnezzar. Jerusalem's destroyed. The ten tribes are scattered to the four corners of the earth, pretty much. At this point, they're on their way. They're gone. And. He erects an image, and he's moved by a demonic presence. Now, it's not just any demonic presence. It's satanic, Satan himself that's moving him. Because Satan is creating something in the earth that is being put up in front of the people in order to prevent the prophecy that was given to him in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, where he's told that the that the seed of the woman would be born, brought into the earth, and, and that Satan would bruise his heel, but that he would destroy his head, that his head would be destroyed by the seed of the woman. Not the seed of the man, the seed of the woman. Who's the seed of the woman? Jesus. Who's the woman? Mary. But he's trying to prevent this. How can he prevent this? He's done a good job so far. He's got Israel destroyed and carried captive by the Assyrians. He's got Judah destroyed and carried off to Babylon. He's got the temple destroyed. And for all intents and purposes, the people of God are about to be eradicated or compromised from off the face of the earth. So breaking the covenant of promise. That's what he was trying to do. If he could... If he could corrupt the holy seed if he could destroy the original uh, birth line that would come from Ruth and Boaz 
down to Obed, down through Jesse, down through David. For you see, Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah were all descendants of King David. They were the boys who refused to eat from the king's table. They were a young generation in the midst of a compromised satanic society. Even those around them that claimed to be Jews had compromised themselves, enjoying from the king's table. But these four boys would not compromise, would not yield, would not serve the gods of Babylon. He puts that image and he creates it all out of gold. And it was his way of saying, I will not receive the interpretation that Daniel gave me. There will be no other king. There will be no other empire but Babylon. And so, it's interesting. He's 60 feet high. Representing his rejection of the coming empires as God revealed to him. You know what he was most afraid of? At the end of that vision, Daniel told him. He said, I beheld, O king, until there was a stone. My grandpa was talking about today. Oh, this stone wasn't burnt. This stone was cut out of a mountain. Representing the mountain of God. And he says, without human hands... And I beheld in the vision till that stone came and smites the image on his feet and grinds that image. That is all of mankind's attempts to be a global one world society under one world king. He says when the coming of the Lord happens, that stone is going to smite the final kingdoms, grind them all to powder. And the wind of the Holy Ghost is going to blow them in every direction so they'll never be seen again. And the kingdom of the Lord and the knowledge of the Lord shall be known from sea to shining sea and everywhere it shall be said that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. <laughs> what does he do? Let me hurry. Give me, give me five minutes. I promise you. I'll do like Paul said. In conclusion and then write three more chapters, right? Okay. All right. After verse sets up the image in the plains of Dora, in the province of Babylon, same place the Tower of Babel was erected. He was trying to plug into those satanic powers. My God, think of what we're saying here. <sighs> Somebody help me here. See, the coming of the Lord is happening right before our eyes. But so thick is the darkness that pervades society and the nations of the world that even when you talk about his second coming, it's as if, uh, it's as if people have never even considered it or heard it in the church. And the battle that you face is to climb up by your spirit as the spirit lifts you up into the realm as we prayed today. Before this message, God lift us all between the heavens and the earth, suspending time and space that we might behold visions of God. I'm telling you what God has told me of exactly where we are and what's about to happen. So you'll know. And so on that day, you won't be able to say, Brother Marty, you knew. 
You knew, and you didn't tell me. <laughs> you won't be able to say that about me. It's going to be hard enough for me to get in as it is. <laughs> I need all that other guilt trip. <laughs> what does he do? What does he do? He makes the image. He sets it up. And then he does something powerful and profound. Listen to this. Verse 2. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king, what does he do? He gathers the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers. There's economics. The counselors, the sheriffs. There's law enforcement. The rulers of the provinces, the mayors, and so forth. To do what? To come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Isn't it interesting that the dedication of this image, which is a type of the image that we're told of, is about to appear in our time, in the book of Revelation. We are told that an image will be constructed and all the world will be demanded to worship it. This is a type of that. We see an insight by the Spirit of God of what they're already doing and what they will do and how they will do it. We are so far along already that you can't even imagine it. And what's the first thing that Nebuchadnezzar does? He doesn't call for the people, does he? He has a secret dedication ceremony. First, he calls the royalty. Those that had the royal blood. Then he calls all the political leadership. Oh, come on, somebody. In secret. All right, fasten your seatbelts. What's this got to do with the day? I'm going to tell you exactly how close we are. And after I tell you, just forget it, go home and watch football tomorrow. Amen. I thought it was funny. All right, here we go. He assembles the political leadership. Now, remember, Babylon was a global-type empire. So the leadership that he assembled was representative of all the provinces, of all the nations of the world for which he had domain. In secret. I'm going to tell you about something that occurred on June the 1st. 2016, this year, just a few weeks back. Pay attention. After several years, a tunnel has been being constructed over the last several years known as the Goddard Tunnel. This tunnel goes directly through the Swiss Alps. It originated in CERN, Switzerland. After several years of digging the longest tunnel that the world knows and the deepest, interesting, isn't it? That they dug underneath the mountain as far as they can go. Well, why does that matter? You'll see. It connected Europe and opened up economic trade 
But for several years, it's been being built, and it was finally finished sometime earlier this year. And so they called for a dedication ceremony of the tunnel. I'm talking about June the 1st now, just a few weeks ago. But something weird happened. On June the 1st, all the world leaders were called to a dedication ceremony which takes place in the deepest underground railway tunnel that we know of. But something weird, it was world leaders. It wasn't the, the general population. We now know about it. But the world leaders came together on June the 1st, first, and they were sub subjected to a satanic ritual underneath the mountain. People were in, in attendance from some of the royal houses of Europe. The royal families were invited. Political leadership was invited, including uh, Angela Merkel of Germany, the president of France, the prime minister of Italy. They were all there. And representatives of the Catholic Church were there. Listen to what they did as well as some of the world's media. Now, the world's media didn't even understand what they were witnessing. They wrote about it. Many of them wrote and said, this is such a bizarre ceremony, we don't even know what it means. I wonder. Check out what they did. June the 1st, the world leaders were called to a dedication ceremony which took place in the deep underground of the tunnel underneath the Swiss, Swiss Alps. Why is this significant? Because they were subjected to a ceremony uh, that, that, that called for the worship of Satan himself. Now, don't show this to your children, but you go and Google this because it's all over the internet now, everywhere, if you know where to look. But I challenge you, Google this, Ceremony Switzerland 2016. That's all you got to Google, and, and you'll confirm what I'm telling you. What I've seen, what I've read, what I've studied comes from the major news networks of the world. This isn't some guy out in the middle of a shack hiding underneath a tree in Montana. This is, these, are, these are sources like the Associated Press and so forth, International CNN. Why did they start the ceremony underground? Because every good Satanist and occultist knows that that is where they must begin their ceremonies. What does it symbolize, Brother Marty? What were they doing? The reason they go underground, whenever they initiate someone into the realm of the occult or witchcraft or Satanism, they dig a hole and they put that person in there and then they, they simulate or really do bury them alive. They leave them there until they contemplate their own death and are stripped of all sense of self. And then they dig them up, symbolizing that they have died to everything they ever held dear to before, and they are resurrected into the darkness and surrendering to it. Why did they have them go under there? What were they saying? They were literally saying, 
we are surrendering to the ways of God. We are dying to them. And here, underneath the Swiss Alps, in the deepest tunnel on earth, really, we will hold a pagan ceremony and worship who they know, brothers and sisters, they know he's real. For you see, he's been calling them for a generation. He's been assembling them for a generation. This is what happened. They, they met under there to, to, to symbolize death and rejection of the old world, only to emerge into a world without God. With, they don't call him Satan. They call him Lucifer or Baphomet. Some of the images that were present at this ceremony included women that, that, were, that were unclothed, dancing, hundreds of them, men simulating homosexual sex, but all tied to pagan religion. At the beginning of the ceremony, people, hundreds of people, march into the bottom of the tunnel, clothed in orange jumpsuits, representing the worker class or the regular population, as they marched in front of the leaders of the assembled world and royalty and law enforcement and bankers and so on and so forth, people you would never know are worshipers of the devil. They marched into the tunnel as, as they came, they symbolized the masses, the nations, and they marched before the stands of all the assembled world leaders as if they were being told that, that these are your subjects whom you will rule as you yield to the Lucifer who has come down from heaven to merge with you. And at that moment, as they marched through, a small contingent is left, and from the ceiling descended this giant, grotesque baby head on top of a woman who was nude, who had wings, and she was lowered from the ceiling. And what this symbolizes in the occult is the child Lucifer who has come down from heaven to the earth. Listen to this. They would bow to that. And, the, and so the ceremony began. Then a whole host of demonic entities, people that were covered in these weird outfits, they, they came rolling in and they, they represented demonic spirits. They were leading the way. They were creating a pathway for the next person that came in. The next person that came in was dressed like Baphomet. He was half, he was half goat, half man, and he had the horns of the goat on his head, and he was being worshipped by the demon spirits as he came into the darkness of the tunnel, as Angela Merkel sits there, as the prime minister of, of Italy sits there, as the president of France sits there, as the royal houses of Europe sit there, as the bankers of the world are sitting there, as the hundreds of counselors and advisors and the secret societies of the world were gathered just a few weeks ago. And he comes in uh, after the baby appears and he comes in as the demon spirits prepare his way and they were telling these assembled uh, leaders of the world the way has been prepared 
that he's here. Mixed with him were people dressed like trees, and some women had weird, like, nests on their head. Like, when you see a bird make a nest, only everything was chaotic, and they were wearing these weird costumes. Why is that important, Brother Marty? Because the occult, the symbolism of the occult, the symbol of Baphomet, they worship earth, wind, fire, water. They worship nature or the material baser elements of the universe. They look towards the temporary, and they spurn the eternal. Isn't it interesting that the leadership of this country said that the greatest threat to the United States and the world isn't ISIS, isn't North Korea, isn't Iran, isn't, isn't, isn't all the crazy people running around. It's, it's not the nuclear weapon. He said it was global warming. Nature worship. And we have a whole host of kids they call millennials who they've so, over the years already, systematically placed in their minds that, you know, a man really isn't a man unless he feels like a man. And a woman isn't a woman unless she feels like a woman. A woman could feel like a man. A man could feel like a woman. And we might as well create a bathroom for them because they're so confused. I grew up, I had a decathlon champion. 1976, won the gold medal for the United States. A few years later, he's wearing dresses and they call him, I don't even know her name, Caitlin. What's going on? Everything that was up is suddenly down. Everything that's down is suddenly up. Everything that was light is suddenly dark. Everything that's dark, they're embracing as the light. Listen to this. I'm hurrying. Why was it significant that it occurred on June the 1st? If you know planetary movements, I study the heavens. I do all that I have for years. I mean, God revealed to us in the stars. Remember what he said in Genesis about the stars and the sun and the moon? He said, let them be for signs, for seasons, right? For seasons and for signs, right? Well, the occultists know this too. And in occultic mythology, they worship Saturn, the planet Saturn. In the ancient days, Saturn was the, the, the last planet they could see. They didn't have what we have, like the Hubble Space Telescope and things like that. It was the last planet they could see. So it represented the devil. Why? Because it was the farthest from the sun and dwelt in darkness. And so the wicked of the world, all the way back to Noah's time and after that, Nimrod and Nebuchadnezzar, they worshipped Saturn because it represented the occult. Babylon represents the new age, all the occultic, all the, 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 the black satanic mysticism that is gripping the world today. So on June the 1st, they purposely held the ceremony underground. Why? Because they knew that above that part of the world, in the sky, Saturn could be seen on that day at its brightest. Are you listening? Go Google it. Google June the 1st, 2016, and just type in Saturn, and you'll see it appeared. And it hung in the heavens all throughout June. Why did they commence the ceremony then? Because they were tying them to ancient myth, ancient corruption, ancient darkness, ancient paganism. Reaching into the very 21st century to the children of the damned. 
What else, Brother Marty? Why Saturn? What was significant? Well, on June the 1st and throughout the month of June, Saturn moved through the uh, constellation. And we're talking the occult people, what they believe now. The constellation of Capricorn. What is Capricorn symbolic of? It's symbolic of if they, when they draw, you know how they draw the pictures of the constellations? Capricorn, the picture of the Capricorn was a goat. Saturn appears. Ancient paganism says Saturn represents the devil. It's the farthest away from light. It's the struggle. It's what they talk about. The sun's over here, darkness over here. It's the fight between light over there, darkness over here. But they were proclaiming that day that light was being extinguished. And they were embracing darkness as it moves through the constellation that represents the goat. They held their satanic ceremony in secret, just like Nebuchadnezzar erected that image and called those of his day to bow down and worship him, uh, worship that image in a prophetic type of what we're witnessing today and what the book of Revelation prophesies is about to happen. Man, let me finish with this. After these ceremonies took place, check this out. A procession takes place from one end of where they were at in the bottom of the tunnel on this side and on this side. And on this side of the tunnel, they, they came marching in and sitting on top of a giant beast is a woman. And she was clothed in scarlet in the clothing of a whore. And she's being marched towards the center of the tunnel underground while all these world leaders I've already told you about are watching this. And not one of them got up and left in protest, including the members of the Catholic Church. And coming from this side was a goat man symbolizing the devil. And they met in the center. But just before they met, leading... In front of the whore that they had dressed up that was coming into this ceremony, they were holding a dead lamb. And this was symbolic, what they were saying. The whore is coming. Christianity is dead. They met in the middle, and I'll say this as delicately as I can. The symbol of Satan, who's dressed up like Satan, comes to the whore and simulates a coming together. And out of them, a baby is torn out, and they begin to weep before the baby. Symbolic of the Antichrist being born. And they wept. You can see the film of it. They wept. June 1st, 2016. You know the rest of the story. Nebuchadnezzar. Six instruments had to be played, right? You can go on and read it tonight yourself. 60 cubits high. 
six cubits wide, and they were commanded to fall down and worship this image, which is symbolic of the devil, at the playing of six instruments. Six, six, six. The book of Revelation tells us that no man will be able to buy or to sell except he receive the mark of the beast or the number of his name. Here is the mind that has wisdom. Let him count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, for it is 660 and 6. 6, 6, 6. We are, as Grandpa said today, the Bible says he causes all, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive what? A mark. If you look up the word mark in the original Greek, it, 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 it's the word etching, which is exactly what they do with biochips, computer chips. They laser etch onto them. No one knew what John was talking about, what he saw. But apparently what he saw was something was going to be placed under the right hand or the forehead. What's interesting is the language says that he causes all, the devil. He causes society to receive like a gift. But the causing, as they preach it all the time, is like, you know, they're going to kill you, cut your head off, this and that. You know, No, no, no. What it literally means is that over the course of time, as we come closer to the coming of the Lord, a shift in society would take place, and the economic reality of the globe would change and shift so that the population that was used to trading in silver and gold would suddenly begin to trade in paper. They're being caused to trade another way. And then not only paper, but they could write checks. They were being caused to just write checks. Suddenly, paper was no longer backed by gold, but it didn't matter because we went into another era of technology. We're being moved into another direction so that really paper means nothing. It's just for your own comfort. But really, money is nothing but a bunch of ones and zeros, digital money. We're being moved, being caused to be moved into an economic system. All the while, these knuckleheads are doing what they're doing underground, swearing allegiance to the devil, the leaders. It, it was made known to the leaders before it was made known to the rest of the world. Now, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they refused. Hallelujah. See, as, as, as strong as the wicked forces were, God always has a remnant. Yes, they refused. And they were brought before the wicked king. And you read the rest of the story. He says, is it true you won't bow down before my image? And they say, what? So we don't even have to think about it, king. They didn't even call him king. Check this out. Look at verse 15. Chapter 3, verse 15. Because there's a fourth man in the fire. Remember the title of this message? No. Yeah, it was called Trial by Fire. <laughs> Look at what they told the king. He tells them in verse 15. Uh, hey, and the reason he was nice at first... Because if nobody bowed down, if those leaders didn't bow down and worship the image, they were supposed to be instantly cast into the fire, right? But he doesn't do that to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why? 
because he, he kind of, he, he you know, Daniel was his closest advisor, and Daniel was the one who told him, you promote these three guys. So maybe in deference to Daniel, he didn't right away throw them into the fire, but he tells them, verse 15, now, if ye be ready that at what time you hear the sound of, you know, the instruments, he goes on to say, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made, uh, but if you will not worship, verse 15, you shall be cast, what? The same hour. What is this a type of, Brother Marty? Book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, the church of Philadelphia, right? Jesus says, uh, I will keep you from what? The hour, the hour of trial that is coming upon the face of the whole earth. He promises to be the fourth man in the fire. Hallelujah. I don't want to go through the fire, Brother Marty. Well, too bad. <laughs> well, you're scaring me. Good. <laughs> Are you scared? You're darn right I'm scared. And so should you be. Scared for our children. Scared for our, scared for our grandchildren. Scared for our communities. Scared for our nation. Terrified for our churches. He said, okay, so you're not going to bow down and worship me? And, and, and what do they say to the king? They say, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, what did they say? Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. That is so cool. Notice what they didn't say. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Bible says he got so mad that his actual face turned into a demonic face. The form of his visage, visage was changed. That's what the King James says. It literally means he went from looking like a man to looking like the devil. So angry was he. And, and they don't even call him king. We're talking young men. Hallelujah. Young men. Standing in front of the representative, the ancient representative of the Antichrist himself. And they don't call him king. Hallelujah. 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 <laughs> I know I've worn you out. All right. Ah, Nebuchadnezzar. We don't even have to think about it. He says, we know that our God, <laughs> our God is able to deliver us. My God, see, I got to hurry, but I got to hurry. But look at this. See, you're talking about an atmosphere that was charged with the demonic presence of Satan himself trying to move on those three young men to, just, to, to break their covenant with God? We're not told that there were any other Jews that were standing up and, 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 and not worshiping his image. But there were three, and their good friend Daniel, too. We don't know where he was. He wasn't there, though. But they were. Probably because he was an advisor to the king and was somewhere off, you know, a few miles away. But they were set over the province of Babylon, which was near Dura, and they had to come. 
but they were being brought to a trial of fire. You're about to be brought to a trial of fire. We're already in it. The South just experienced the worst flood in the history of the United States, the Bible Belt. California has been burning all summer long. We're dying with drought here. Hmm? Our leaders have lost their mind. (laughs) Jezebel wants to be president again. My Lord. So what happened? We know they got thrown in the fire, right? As the old timers used to say, he never promised you to to save you from the fire. But he will save you out of the fire. How far will your faith go? Will you stand in the face of a world gone crazy that has rejected our king? And will you point the prophetic finger at them and declare, thus saith the Lord, without fear or favor of men? See, David had a prophetic type lived out in his life of the kind of anointing that's coming upon the people of God. Goliath, as our brother preached so beautifully this morning, a type of the Antichrist. David, full of the Holy Ghost. David goes from being a shepherd boy to saying some of the most crazy things. He goes to that giant type of the Antichrist. The giant says, what am I, a dog that you'd send a boy to me with with a stick and a rock? And what does David say to the giant? The same thing that we're going to say. The same thing these young men are going to say. The same thing that your young people are going to say. First, he tells everyone around him, don't forget who God is. Who's this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? My God. (laughs) We're not talking about General Patton. We're talking about a 17-year-old David. (laughs) My God. My God, the anointing. See, you're thinking, I can't possibly face this craziness on my own. You're right. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody praise him. Hallelujah. 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 (laughs) David tells that giant, he says, you know what, man? He says, today. (laughs) <laughs> Not tomorrow. As a matter of fact, you've, you've had 40 days already. He goes, but today? He goes, <laughs> the truth of the matter is, by the power of the anointing of the Holy Ghost, he said, I'm going to cut your head off and feed your stinking 13-foot carcass to the birds of the air. My God. <laughs> that's what the anointing will do for you trust me whether we get there through martyrdom whether we survive 
unto the coming of the Lord and we're caught up in the air because we have a promise, a generation, a group on the earth at that time will not die, but will change, be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Either way, Paul told us to be absent from the body is to instantly be in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 All this body is, is an earth suit. It's the real you on the inside that animates it. Right? You've been to funerals, you look down at that body, you go, he, he ain't there, she ain't there. She's not there. You're right, she's not there. The warranty ran out on her car. Huh? To be absent from this earth suit is to be instantly in the presence of the Lord. What do you, why do we even come to church? What do you believe? Is it a club? We just like singing? I mean, what? Man, you've preached some heavy stuff tonight. I know, I've preached you the Bible. And I informed you about what's taking place in secret. And the Holy Spirit tied it all together to show us exactly how close we are to the coming of the Lord. We're going to be tried by fire, all of us, one way or another, all of us. Some of us are already going through it. You're dealing with some, whether it's sickness, disease, a, a marriage problem, or you're on the foreign mission field, you're, you're min- whatever it may be, you're married. There's a fiery trial taking place. It's burning away all the chaff in your life, in my life. We're being prepared to meet the king. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 Set your sights on things above and not on things below. Below. That's where they were. Below, under the earth, under a mountain, worshiping the devil. You couldn't get more darker and depressing than that. These people are warped and demented. Do not put your trust in the systems of men. You are a holy nation. A peculiar treasure. You have been plucked as a brand from the fire. Your sins have been forgiven. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You are a child of the Most High God. You are an ambassador from heaven. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. His word dwells in you. His angel encampeth round about those that fear him. You can run through a troop and leap over a wall. I will not fear for the Lord my God is with me and you. Somebody praise him. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory. Come on, you can do better than that. Hallelujah. 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 A king is coming. A king is coming. Make straight the paths of the king. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain shall be brought low. Every crooked place shall be made straight. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Can I get my musicians? Somebody. Would you stand to your feet?
Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Come on, musicians. I didn't say magicians. I said musicians. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God. Just take a moment, worship him right now, right where you are. Just worship him right now. Just call out to him right now. Some of you have just had images of your loved ones come up before your spirit. Hallelujah. You just saw their face or faces. God is saying they will be saved. Hallelujah. Remember when Paul and Silas praised the Lord at midnight. Midnight's a type of the end of the world. All of the chains were falling off the prisoners and the, and the prison doors fell open and the jailer got freaked out and wanted to kill himself because he thought, man, everybody escaped. And Paul said, don't escape. Don't worry about it. Nobody's escaped. And he said, my God, your God's the real God. What must I do to be saved? He 